Hi, I'm Mike Troy, host of the American Revolution podcast on the Airwave Media Network. This podcast is the origin story of the United States, how we went from colonies ruled by a king to the democratic republic that we have today. The American Revolution podcast tells the story of the revolution from beginning to end. Please subscribe for free. We're available on all major podcast platforms. I hope you will join me today on the American Revolution podcast. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Plotting Through the Presidents and another deep, irreverent dive into lesser-known stories about the early republic. I'm Howard. I'm Jess. And last week, we talked about Thomas Jefferson's killer four-horned ram. Yeah. And this week, we're going to talk about a couple more naughty animals. Really? Yeah. Oh, goodness. Lots of naughty animals. I am so used to talking about people that, you know... This was exciting for you to veer off the tracks a little bit. Yeah, I'm done with people. (laughs) Now it's the founding animals. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I promised you a lot less death and a lot more profanity this week. Oh. And listener discretion advised, that's what you're going to get. Okay. Along with some fire and maybe just a pinch of murder. Ooh, a pinch. A pinch. Okay. I like a pinch of murder. (laughs) Today's episode is all about the most terrifying creatures of all. Vampires. The only living dinosaurs. Huh. They can fly, they can mock you, and they've got those claws and those beaks. Crows? Close. I mean, yeah, sure. I'm talking about birds. Wow. (laughs) I thought you were talking about dinosaurs. Well, same thing. Okay, some say. Yes. I mean, I agree. Well, I mean, it's the consensus. We're going to go with it. Right. But who listens to science these days? (laughs) Right. This is a story in two acts, each act focusing on a different presidential pet bird. Oh, cool. Yeah. I love when you do acts. It's nice and structured. Thank you. We're going to be digging into the stories of two parrots named Polly today. Oh, such an original name. Right. (laughs) Those naughty birds belonged to Dolly Madison and Andrew Jackson. Mm-hmm. And we're going to dig into whether a super popular story about Jackson's parrot has any basis in truth. Okay. But first, act one, Dolly's Polly. I like how their names rhyme. They probably enjoyed that too. Maybe. Dolly Madison loved birds. She had a whole aviary. But one particular pet bird was allowed to roam free, which was a problem. Oh, really? That was her macaw, Polly. A macaw. So that's like a parrot. It's like a type of parrot. Yeah. I remember from the Oregon or the Amazon Trail, which was, (laughs) I learned, you know how there's the Oregon Trail? Yeah. Where you get dysentery and die. Mm -hmm. There's the Amazon Trail, which I also played as a kid, where you're in a boat going down the Amazon and you find birds and one of them was a macaw. Nice. What do you get on the Amazon Trail if you don't get dysentery? I think lots of things happen. Like you eat bad fish or you drowned. Yeah. There's lots of Anacondas. I don't recall anacondas, thankfully. That'd be pretty cool. (laughs) Polly, or Paul for short, was a gift from a South American diplomat. Mm -hmm. She was a splendid bird with magnificent plumage. One visitor also described Polly as being of shrewd character. Shrewd character. Today, shrewd means clever in a practical way and maybe cunning. But back then it meant malicious, troublesome, mischievous. Oh, really? I want to know what this bird was up to. We'll get there. Okay. Um, First, I want to tell you that Polly was actually privy to the most famous White House story featuring Dolly Madison. Really? The saving of the portrait of George Washington. Yes, that was Dolly. Yes, Mm -hmm. before the British burned down the White House in the War of 1812. So I've always pictured that scene as chaotic, and Uh it was, but I never imagined it with a macaw screaming French phrases in the background. (laughs) Really? Oh, yeah, the bird spoke French. Oh, my God. Let me explain. A French bird. See, if I were to get a bird, first of all, I would never cage a bird. But if I were to get a bird, I would want a French one. They're like probably some, the best. A bird that speaks French would be ideal. Um, to me, if I were to have a bird, which I, just, I can't imagine. I'm just, I'm, I'm not glad a bird that, person. I'm glad we're on that same page. Speaking French would go in the pro column for a bird. Right. Yeah, yes. I would say. Yes. That's a perfect way of saying yes. it. There's too many cons, though, so it'll, not, it'll never happen. Okay. I guess we're not bird people. We're not bird people. It's good to know that. I think we knew. So, August 24th, 1814, the White House. 
Dolly's looking out the window with a telescope, trying to spot James Madison, who's out with the army, for all she knows, dead. The last she heard from him was that the British are stronger than we thought. They might be on their way to destroy the city. You need to be ready to leave at a moment's notice. That is terrifying. Yeah. The enslaved servant, Paul Jennings, he has set the table for dinner. And then word comes, the British are on their way. You need to get the hell out of there. There's chaos in the streets of the city. Women and Mm. children are scrambling to get their stuff and find ways out of town because most of the men are off with the army. Gosh, I am really empathizing with this. I am. I feel there. And there's chaos inside the White House, too. Dolly's directing the staff to grab important papers and the famous portrait of George Washington. She's scooping up silver herself and loading up a wagon. Wow. But the person who's really running the show is a French dude named Jean-Pierre Sousa. I thought you were going to say Polly the bird. <laughs> no, that'd be something. How awesome would it be if Polly's like, ah, don't forget that. Yeah, I know. Giving directions to the staff. That would be a very different story. So what was his name? Jean-Pierre Sousaw. Jean-Pierre. And I may be mispronouncing lots of names. That's why I'm just going with Jean-Pierre. And I may be misgendering lots of birds okay. in, this, in this episode, but I'm doing my best. Is it misgendering or missexing? Um, for birds, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm probably, I could be doing both. You could be doing both. Yes. So Jean-Pierre Sousaul. I could easily do a whole episode on him, but I'll give you the highlights here. Okay. He grew up in Paris during the reign of terror. He witnessed the beheadings of Louis XIV and Marie wow. Antoinette. He was being groomed to be a priest, but he decided, nah, I want to be a sailor. That's, I think, what I would choose. There you go. Oh, I mean, if I, had, <laughs> if I had to go one direction or the other. Well, a sailor, you know, you might be in war. Oh, well, that's a problem. So you're going for priest? Um, I guess I'll go with priesthood. I can't do the celibacy part, but I think I could preach. I think you could. I think I could. Yeah, preach. Preach. There you go. I could preach it. Okay. I mean, not about the Bible, but <laughs> <laughs> I could preach. I could use little snippets and use it and run with it. I think I'd be okay at that. You would be a heretic. Okay. <laughs> I think, okay, I'm choosing priesthood. Okay. So Susol. With a secret life in, in like brothels <laughs> <laughs> all right Sousaw chose the sailor route he joined the french navy he got to travel around the world and he was on a ship that delivered i think it was napoleon's brother to america and when the ship was docked in new york harbor he decided you know this looks like a good place to plant roots and he jumped overboard and he swam to shore oh my gosh who does that jean-pierre Sousaw. jean-pierre He eventually went to work for a British ambassador in Washington, Mm D.C., and then he made his way to being the first master of ceremonies, or major domo, in the White House. Wow. They called him French John. That's quite a, I mean, that's quite a progression. Yeah. Jumping off a boat (laughs) to plant roots and then winding up in the White House. Yeah. He used his French expertise to help Dolly Madison be the consummate hostess, the party monster she was always meant to be. (laughs) He also took care of Polly. No. And he taught her French phrases. <laughs> I wish I knew what some of them were so I could butcher them. Mm-hmm. Missed opportunity. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> right? So everyone is freaking out. The British are about to attack the White House. Mm-hmm. And Sousaw is running But things. the table is set, thankfully. The table is set. The smell of food is wafting over everybody that's a shame. and mixing with the smell of gunpowder. Oh, that's, that's too bad. Yeah. At least that's one biographer's description. And it's, I like it. Um, Sousaw is running things. He's making sure that Dolly's orders are carried out. He's the guy that you want around in a crisis. Mm -hmm. He even offers up a strategy. He says to Dolly, I've got a plan. Mm. Let me lay a train of gunpowder to these cannons and rig them to blow up the British if they enter the White House. Oh my gosh. Well, wouldn't that blow up the White House? Yes. (laughs) His plan is to end this invasion like most Hollywood movies. (laughs) Dolly. It seems a little dramatic. Oh, I love it. Dolly, if they want the White House, let's give them the White House now. <laughs> Let me blow it up, see you play. Just could say, boom. <laughs> One time, no. One time, no. Polly is probably flying around saying, blow it up, blow it up. But, but, <laughs> In French, though. <laughs> yes. But Dolly, who's always up for a good time, somehow says no to the plan to blow up the White House. Um yeah. So we're saved maybe some unnecessary deaths, but we're denied an insanely wild story. Yeah, a really like, um, oh, what is the director who 
is always squirting blood everywhere. Oh, I, was, I thought you meant Jerry Quentin. Bruckheimer. No, Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah. We're denied a Quentin Tarantino ending. Oh, my God. If I have fantasies about like an alternate history version of this like White House burning invasion, either like a diehard type fantasy where James Madison is crawling <laughs> through tunnels <laughs> and the enslaved Paul Jennings is like leading the show. There's so much going on with this couple of days, and you'll you'll see. Well, my fantasy is Dolly like rips off her skirt, oh, and then yeah. she's in this like tight um, corset, but it's kind of like a leotard, and then she crawls through tunnels and saves the day. Yes, like some kind of badass. That's what happened. That's it. So Dolly finally gets shipped off to safety, and Susan is one of the last to leave. It's him. Can we call him Jean Pierre. I su- I suppose. I mean, you like that better? Susan, I just have no idea who you're talking about. Okay. Well, it sounds different every time. And I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm confused. My goal is to get it right at least once. <laughs> Please, someone once. So Jean Pierre is one of the last to leave. It's him and Polly. He grabs the macaw and he hides it at a friend's house. And then he gives the key to that house to a Russian ambassador. And the idea is that because they're flying the Russian flag at that house, the British won't burn that house down because I guess, like, why drag Russia into all of this? This is according to Dolly Madison's niece, who I think could have edited this story a little bit better, even (laughs) if it meant lying, to make a little more sense. (laughs) So they put Polly at a seemingly Russian house. No, no, they put Polly at their friend's house. But the key to that house they gave to the Russian ambassador in the Russian house. Aren't these houses made of like wood? I don't know. Break it down. (laughs) This this seems like an overly complicated plan. But you know what? He's the master of ceremonies, so I'm not going to second guess. (laughs) Don't question question Jean-Pierre. So the British get to the White House. They eat the dinner. They drink the wine. They light it up. Same with the Capitol and lots of other buildings. The next day, and this is, I mean, this could fit into the alternate history, like Mm -hmm. action disaster movie. Um, It's one of the biggest storms ever to hit the area. Like hurricane tornado strength, rip the roofs off houses type storm that blows everything to hell and puts out the fires. Wow. For real? Yes. Wow. So the weather put out all the fires yes. and brought the peace. Yes. The storm brought the peace. Yeah. I'm trying to make it more poetic. I mean, I think people tried to connect it to some kind of like divine thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, the storm kind of came after the White House had already burned down. So <laughs> it's a little know. late, a little late. Yeah. But Polly is safe. Oh, good. Where's Dolly? Dolly <laughs> what, what house did they hide her in? Well, Dolly, I, uh, they left the White House and they stopped at some farm and they were like, help, we need a place to stay. And the woman living there was like, are you Dolly Madison? You're, no, your husband started the war. Get the fuck off my property. And they had to go to another house. Are you serious? Yeah, that's what, that's what Paul Jennings wrote in his memoir of these events. Oh, wow. That's, um, that's crazy. Yes. Um, that's really unfortunate. It is. But Polly is safe. And that's an outcome that would turn out to bite James Madison. And well, you'll see. What? Let's talk about Polly's behavior. Yeah, I was curious about why she was so shrewdish. The few written accounts that we have of Polly share a theme, and the theme is the word terror. Do you know what they said in the Madison home to scare little children? Polly's going to get you. They said Polly is coming. Oh, God. Yes. (laughs) Would Would she nip? Was she a nipper? She was more than a nipper. I don't know of anything written about Polly by Dolly or James themselves, mm-hmm. but we have a few eyewitness accounts from family members and guests. Okay. And I want to thank Montpelier's senior research historian, Hilary M. Hicks, for her helpfulness and for her great piece on this bird called Parroting Historical Research, where she laid out this bird's reign of evil. <laughs> I like that title. Yeah. On Christmas Eve night in 1815, young Mary Boardman wrote about her visit to the Madison's house. Mm-hmm. She said Dolly had the parrot brought in for the girls, and he ran after Mary to catch her feet. (laughs) She screamed and jumped into a chair and pulled hold of Mrs. Madison. (laughs) Only Dolly could save her. Oh, my goodness. That doesn't sound so bad. Just a bird playing or trying to get defending itself, really. Defending? It was chasing this girl's feet. I mean, that makes sense. It's a bird. It, It probably didn't want the girl close to it. I was curious about this catching her feet business, uh-huh. and it turns out that feet chasing is a real thing that some parrots do. Some parrots, so do puppies, and so do toddlers. They <laughs> might chase people, but no, some parrots go apeshit when they see bare human feet, especially huh. toes, and they attack. 
So what do they think the toes are? What do they think the toes are? What's, what are I, they thinking? I, I don't know. One book on parrots by author Mira Tweedy. And I can't be saying that name right. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, if that is how your name is pronounced, Mira. Um, that good, is. Good on you. Yes. You're in the right place. You're in the right profession. Well, this book says own, <laughs> owners will find out the hard way if their parrot is a toe nabber who takes offense at exposed digits. <laughs> the birds will chase feet across the floor, biting hard when they catch a runaway toe. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine a anything more terrifying. <laughs> well, a shark nipping at your feet would be more terrifying. I suppose, but this just seems more realistic. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess I have a lot of things chasing my feet. <sighs> yeah. I don't think you have the kids on your feet as much as I do. I literally have Emerson and Beckett wrapping their bodies around my feet as I'm trying to beeline somewhere. How often do they bite your toes? I mean, I get hurt all the time. <laughs> Let's just say that. It's true. <laughs> so why do some birds do this? What do they think the toes are? We, we don't know, but according to... Par- There's got to be a reason. We don't know. But according to parrotwebsite.com, <laughs> one reason might be, because our feet look kind of weird, your parrot might not understand what they are. <laughs> hold on hold on a second. We have, to take, we have to take a quick ad break. We'll be, we'll be right back. Parrotwebsite.com, for all your parrot website needs. We've got wild guesses for all your parrot questions. Parrotwebsite.com, because feet are weird, especially pinky toes. <laughs> Just let the birds have that one. <laughs> Parrotwebsite.com, the only website written by parrots. <laughs> and we're back. Oh my gosh. My pinky toe does look weird. Right? I, sometimes I want to nab it off. The, you know, what's stopping <laughs> you? <laughs> um, um, one other theory I saw was like, maybe they think they're little birds. <laughs> Well, that's what I was wondering, like little, I mean, but who wants to eat little birds? Or I don't know. Worms? Maybe they think they're, I don't maybe know. Maybe they think they're worms. I guess. I don't know. But it's it's freaky. <laughs> so Polly liked feet, but that's not all Polly well, liked. Well, not liked feet. She attacked feet. She liked attacking feet. Right. And that's not all Polly liked attacking. Oh, no. Another visitor, <laughs> Judith Walker, wrote that Polly was an object of special terror to me. Oh, <laughs> And here we get to see another dangerous trait of parrots. Jealousy. So this parrot had all the bad traits. Um, possibly. But she was beautiful. <laughs> what color was she? Do we know? I don't know if she was a scarlet macabre. There were some things that said Dolly had a beautiful green bird. I'm picturing a green bird. Okay. Walker wrote that James Madison soon perceived the jealousy of Mrs. Paul. Polly- was this a married bird? No, but they called her Mrs. Paul. Okay. Out of respect. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's Dolly Madison's bird. <laughs> okay. You know, you call it Mrs. Paul. Okay, got it. So James Madison, he's watching Polly like a hawk because he can tell that Polly is jealous of Judith. And Judith said that he did everything he could to save me from her formidable beak and claws. <laughs> Jeez. So James was just trying to protect this young woman from a violent bird. And it cost him. His eyes? <laughs> Both his eyes. Oh, were. my God. <laughs> As Walker describes it... I mean, that would be a horrific bird if it was, like, poking out people's eyes. Yeah. Chasing toes, I don't know if I'd constitute that as horrific. Consider this. Okay. As Walker describes it, when he came to the rescue, Polly bit his finger to the bone. I mean, that's bad. It's not good. (laughs) It's shrewd, but it's not good. (laughs) Oh, my god! It didn't faze him, though. Well, according to this girl... She said that it was a catastrophe which gave me real sorrow, though he took it in perfect good humor as only Pretty Polly's way. (laughs) Which tells me it wasn't to the bone. You know... I think there's some hyperbolization going on. I'm thinking he put on his best face through excruciating pain. And his fingers were in pain anyway because of his rheumatism. I think this must have killed. All I know is I got stung by a bee in my finger once and I was screaming across this like barbecue party my mother was having. I was screaming and running from one person (laughs) and I was begging them to pull the stinger from my finger. Yeah. Um, Imagine if it was a bird. So if it was a bird who who bit bit your finger to the bone, you can't put on a brave face for that. Well, no matter who you are, you're going to scream if anything is to the bone. The pain is too excruciating. I I don't know. That's why they have anesthesia for that. Maybe it's an exaggeration and the bite wasn't that bad. I think it is. But parrots' beaks are super strong. That's true. And they're sharp. Yeah. In the wild, they feed on the bones of carcasses. They crack the bones open with their beak and they suck out the bone marrow. 
That's gross. Yeah. Pet owners now give bones parrots to their parrots all the time. Yeah. What? Yeah. And some macaws have a powerful enough bite to snap a broomstick in half. Wow. So, I mean, maybe it was to the bone. Then why didn't she break the bone? Maybe she didn't want to break it. Maybe she just wanted to bite it to the bone. <laughs> maybe she just wanted a little she bit of marrow. seems very conniving. I think it's entirely possible that James Madison had his finger bitten to the bone by that macaw, and he just put on a brave face in front of this little girl. Oh, God. And with the medical treatment of the time, it's amazing that this didn't result in a deadly infection. Or amputation or something. Maybe. Just bleed the wound. Just bleed it <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, just bleed. Just you got, bleed out. You got bit, you just you need to lose a bleed. lot of blood. Just bleed we're, it out. We're going to have to take a lot of blood yeah, out. Yeah, just let it drip. Yeah. Polly probably saw Dolly as her like one and only, and anyone who got in the way was a threat. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think children were the main objects of her attacks. Wow. So Dolly might have been more affectionate with them, and that was just not okay. There's mm. also the fact. Jealous. Yeah. Macaws and kids are not the greatest match in general from hmm. what I've seen. Um, it sounds like for some families, maybe macaws and kids can mix if it's handled responsibly. But I looked at like bulletin boards of people asking about it. And one response was, oh, kids and macaws can totally mix. We just keep our birds in a separate room and never let the child in. And when they do mix, we never take our eyes off the bird. <laughs> it's like that logic puzzle where you have it's like, like kids and pools. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Um, it's, it can mix, but that's incredibly deadly. It's <laughs> not have, done right. Yeah, they can't. There's no, no one's ever safe. <laughs> it's like that logic puzzle where you have like one boat and you have to get like a chicken and a fox and some yeah. chicken food to an island, but you can only fit two of them at a time. Right. The point is kids and macaws get along great if you make sure they never interact. Mm-hmm. So how is that like the chicken, the boat puzzle? Um, well, you can't bring like the fox and the chicken together. I know the puzzle. I'm just wondering how that applies to kids not mixing oh, with macaws. Oh, you can't put the kids and the macaws together. Right. That's but it. That's, that's it. an easy puzzle. Sure. Now, if there was a fox and a chicken, and the chicken could hang out with the macaw but not the fox, then you had to think, then we're talking about something you could compare that to That would puzzle. be a more difficult logic puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. This is just keep them apart. Yeah, this is just don't get on the boat. <laughs> yeah, this is an easier logic puzzle. This is than choose that. one. Yeah. The kids so, or the it's macaws. Sophie's choice here. Yeah. Or maybe the other possibility is that kids were the targets because French John was smart enough to keep this bird locked up and out of sight during diplomatic events to avoid a bloodbath. And it's only when they had close friends and expendable children to, over to avoid a bloodbath. Yes, that's when they set Polly free to hunt. <laughs> on on the children. Yes. So when there were children over, they set her out to hunt. Oh, yeah. Let, yeah. Po- let Polly have a little blood. Uh, yeah, it's time to let her loose. Yes. Polly needs to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> but alas, the predator ultimately became the prey. What? Polly lived a good long life. Did and they a- have a cat? No. A dog? No. Well, who got Polly? You just wait. She lived a good long life, and according to Dolly's niece, Mary Cutts, when she was very old, her career was recently brought to an end by a nighthawk, which pounced upon her when, one night, by the carelessness of servants, she was not brought to her perch in the hall. Oh, I don't think that was an accident. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah. First of all, like, okay, let's blame those careless enslaved people. Right. Um. Secondly, yeah. I mean, there was probably people lined up to let Paul be... <laughs> Nighthawked. Like, yeah, I think there was a plan. <laughs> maybe it took a while, but they eventually. Um, maybe she was getting old and sick, and they just—that's how they quote unquote put her out to pasture. Just let the nighthawk take her. That's terrible. There's got to be better ways to put <laughs> an old bird down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that's the best way because then it, she at least becomes food for another animal. In a terrifying way, like her last think, moments are. I think it would be quick. I don't know. Nighthawks, by the way, also took out some of Dolly Madison's pheasants. Gosh, um, these are some crazy nighthawks. They're the terrors. Well, I just, I think the 19th century as a whole was like a scary place. You couldn't go outside or inside without being attacked by a bird. <laughs> Not the White House, anyway. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> but c'est la vie. Bonsoir, Polly. No, you live Polly. quite a life. And if there's a birdie heaven, I hope you're up there biting God's toes. <laughs> birdie heaven. That brings us to Act 2, the final Polly, and by far the most famous. So not Mrs. Paul this time. No, different Paul. 
different oh they called her paul as well yeah paul or poor paul okay so there's mrs paul and poor paul two different two different birds sure yes okay i hope this one was nicer yeah i would say that okay okay this story comes up all the time in articles about presidential pets as the story goes andrew jackson had a parrot named polly Uh that attended jackson's funeral and had to be removed because (laughs) can you guess why was it loud it kept swearing. Okay. It swear. It was swearing at the funeral. That's the story. Because it was upset? I, Why was it swearing? A lot of questions. <laughs> I've always thought that this story seemed too good to be true. So I had to know, did this really happen? Or was it another John Quincy Adams pet alligator tale? Right. So we're going to find out. Okay. We're going to dig into a few areas. Number one. Mm-hmm. What do we actually know about this parrot? Right. Number two, what's the earliest known source of this funeral story? Mm-hmm. And number three, did Andrew Jackson really swear that much? Like enough for a parrot to pick up on it? <laughs> Especially, it's not a mockingbird. No, it's a parrot. <laughs> okay. Um, was it green? Do we know what color this one was? I think it was green. Most it? articles about it call it an African gray parrot. Oh, so maybe it's a gray parrot. I couldn't confirm that. They're really pretty. But we'll just call it an African gray. Okay. Uh, Then, finally, we're going to weigh the evidence. And I'm going to leave it up to you, Jess, to determine whether this story is real or an alligator tale. Okay. Do you have the real answer? Or I'm just going to speculate. Are there there real answers for anything? You usually bring the real answer. I, You know, this is a mystery. Okay. You're going to solve it. So I'll speculate, and then you'll have nothing for me after that. Um, you'll have no wrong or right. I mean, I'll weigh in. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Okay. I'm going to give you a full history of everything I could find about Polly, or poor Paul. This all comes from the papers of Andrew Jackson. So these are letters mm-hmm. he wrote and received. Okay. We know that Jackson purchased this parrot on June 5th, 1827. He paid $25 for it, which is around $600 today. Wow. Yeah. It's an expensive bird, but not as expensive as I thought it would be. So a lot of accounts of Paul put her in the White House with Jackson. Mm -hmm. That's not right. This parent never lived in the White House. Hmm. Andrew bought her as a gift for his wife, Rachel. Why did people put her in the White House? Like, historically. I think that the story is that it was Andrew Jackson's pet parrot, so of course it was in the White House. Oh, okay. Nope. Nope. Andrew bought her for his wife, Rachel, and Polly probably would have gone to the White House if Rachel had. Oh, no. Yeah, as we've talked about before, Rachel Jackson died before his inauguration. Polly stayed behind at the Jackson home in Tennessee, the Hermitage. Hmm. But Jackson never stopped thinking about that bird. He's barely settled into the White House when he writes to his nephew back home, William Donaldson. He writes, My dear sir, Write me on the receipt of this and let me know how your dear little Elizabeth is. That's William's wife. Mm-hmm. And whether poor Paul, the favorite bird of my dear wife, is still living. Oh, gosh. Two months later, Jackson complains that he hasn't received a single line from William. <sighs> Was Polly dead? Was Polly alive? He has no idea. Oh, gosh. William finally responds six months later and doesn't mention the bird at all. Ouch. So it's dead, huh? <laughs> well, I don't... I mean, that's why I would omit anything about the bird. <laughs> you know, um, we're so used to instant answers to everything right now. Mm-hmm. Back then, you just had to, like, wonder something for six months or longer. Just die ignorant. Yeah. Have you noticed that... Do you get the sense that you have to answer even more quickly than you used to? Now that we're texting and emailing, you're expected to answer within seconds, oh, yeah. I feel. Yeah. Even leaving a text for a few minutes, I feel bad. Oh, yeah. You're, you're negligent. It's, it's truly an instant interaction. It's instant gratification for everything. Right. And now I, I can listen to any song I want, anytime. Back then, you had to catch a bird and hope it had some good songs. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jackson responded to William saying how nice it would be to hear from him more often. And how much he loved William's wife, Elizabeth, who was so kind to Rachel. He said, an evidence of my regard for Elizabeth was my leaving with her poor Paul, the favorite of my (laughs) dear departed wife. Whether this bird still lives, you have not said. (laughs) Present my best love to Elizabeth and ask her for my sake 
to preserve her for me if she can until I return, as I intend to foster the bird and prolong its life as long as I live for the fondness my dear wife had for her. The bird is dead, Andrew. When you write, say whether it lives. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's intense. Right? That's a lot of pressure to keep this bird Uh, alive. It puts the lotion in the basket or it gets the hose again. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. He just sounds demanding. He's he's very... Like serial killer demanding. He needs to know how this bird is. Right of the... Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. History never says goodbye. It just says, see you later. Edward Galliano was right when he said that. Events keep happening over and over again in some form. And that's the reason I produce the podcast, My History Can Beat Up Your Politics. What is it? We take stories of history and apply them to the events of today to help you perhaps understand them better. We are also part of Airwave Media Network. I've been doing the program since 2006. That's a long time. And the show has a long name. My history can beat up your politics. Find me wherever you get podcasts. Bird, and if it lives. At this point, I'm seriously wondering if Polly kicked the bucket and they're just scrambling to find a parrot that looks close enough to replace seems it before like Jackson it. comes home. I mean, that's what it seems like, right? Yeah. And also, like, what's going on that Jackson, he's not asking, how's poor Paul? He's demanding to know if the bird still lives, which I got to think means he either doesn't trust his relatives to keep the thing alive. He suspects. Yeah. Or he knows that no one cares about this bird and he has to remind (laughs) them that it's the only thing he has left of his beloved wife. I think he suspects that it might be dead after not receiving an answer and therefore now is very like suspicious and demanding an answer. He's waited a long time. Yeah. (laughs) How long? How long has he waited? Let's see. So it's been six months. And then, then now it's like another six weeks later oh when William Donaldson responds. So we're talking over half a year here. Yeah. Okay. So the bird's dead. <laughs> William- you haven't heard about the bird at this point. It's, it's no longer on this planet. William Donaldson spends several pages in his response talking about things that are obviously more important to him than whether or not this bird's alive. Uh-huh. He talks about the poor state of the crops and the <laughs> animals and how someone is stealing their bacon hogs and how his own mother has broken both her arms. What? Yeah. Poor woman. I know. And then she fall? A couple times. Oh, really? Yes. She fell. She fell. And broke both her arms. Yes. And one fall or each arm and and one at a time. One at a time. Yeah. That's really horrible. You think you wouldn't fall again that way, but I mean if you've already fallen that way once, you're already like unbalanced. Maybe she needed to stop navigating her environment. <laughs> Maybe like she just, needed some assistance. Mom, you need to sit down. Exactly. Mom, stop. Just stop. Exactly. You're going to hurt yourself. It's like, I don't think this unpaved road is right for you anymore. Yeah, Mom, I will take care of the bacon. I think that's what she wanted to do. I mean, this woman was breaking her arms at that left point. Left and it's right. Like, let her sit Literally down. left and right. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. 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 I'm sorry. No, that was perfect. Finally, at the very end of the letter, he says... The rest of the family are all well. And poor Paul is doing well. She is as fat and saucy as ever. From her continued good health, I think she will live to be an old bird. Elizabeth desires to be remembered affectionately to you and says that she will ensure Polly's life till you return. 
They totally went out and got a new bird. Probably. And it's like, dear Andrew, my mom's a mess and the pigs keep disappearing. Oh, but we couldn't kill Polly if we tried. <laughs> yeah, your bird's she's, fine. She's saucy as ever. Right? This letter to me is a, a vital piece of evidence as we consider the story. William says poor Paul is as saucy as ever. And saucy had like pretty much the same meaning back then, like boldly rude, shameless, and disrespectful. Or maybe they put her in a sauce. Oh my God. Why is that so shocking? You think they cooked the bird. That's my and, experience and with used birds. a pun to explain <laughs> her state. Okay. If you've got a profane parrot circa 1830, you're probably going to call it saucy. Right. I picture this bird in the, this black dress with its cleavage a little too well. Oh, yeah. That was, that was poor Paul. <laughs> yeah. She was, you know. Saucy broad. She was. She was still out there dancing long past her peak. But long past her beak. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's the only pun I have for you. All right. Good night. <laughs> so Andrew writes back right away, ecstatic. I rejoice to hear that poor Paul is still living. Say with my kindest salutations to your dear Elizabeth how much I feel indebted to her for preserving this it. This reminds me of that SNL skit. Where they're, where, where they're writing back and forth, and he's like, the troops have come in, we're all going hungry. And she's like, dear Sam, okay. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? I do, I do. Or, dear Sam, I'm sorry. Yes. And then it's the shortest letter ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so is that what this is like? Um, A little bit. Okay, so Jackson has heard of all these horrific things happening in their family, and then he, he goes on about the bird again. I mean, he does reply to their other points okay that's yeah. nice he, he shows sympathy for the mother with the arms okay well i still think he's a sociopath I, at least for people close to him he was generally very kind and charismatic yeah and narcissistic you know who knows but he says say with my kindest salutations to your dear elizabeth how much i feel indebted to her for preserving it should i live i will reward her for her care of it. Should I live to return and find it alive, it will be a great comfort to me. Jesus. I value this bird more than anything that my dear wife left. She thought so much of it. At this point, he's, he's bullet-ridden. He's often bedridden. He's at death's door enough that he does not assume anyone's going to live long. Um, but he has high hopes that he and Polly <laughs> will be together <laughs> again reunite. someday. Someday. I think he conflated the bird with his wife or something. And in his lowest moments, like being bullet ridden, he was missing his wife. Yeah. That's probably what it was. Definitely. It was the last like living thing that he associated with her mm -hmm. aside from like, you know, her family. Mm -hmm. um, but the bird. <laughs> oh, oh, the bird. I can't find whatever happened between Elizabeth Donaldson and Polly after this. But a year later, Andrew Jackson designated someone new to take care of the parrot. Really? Yeah. Elizabeth was fired? Apparently. Hmm. He asked his adopted son, Andrew Jackson Jr., to write me soon as you get home whether poor Paul is living. <laughs> Jesus. He needed to know from everyone. <laughs> he didn't trust anybody. <laughs> Why couldn't he just take the bird with him? Because he's busy, you know, in the White House. <sighs> take the bird at this point. I, I, You're not trusting anyone to... I mean, but you ask about how are your pets if you haven't written. I suppose. I mean, you ask, but like, I mean, there's some pressure involved. There's just a little pressure. A little bit. Uh, and he says, give a charge to Hannah that she take care of her. A charge. Hannah was the enslaved head of the household staff at the Hermitage. Mm -hmm. And she'd been Rachel's personal servant. So apparently Jackson decided that poor Paul was too important to trust his family to take care of. Then one year later... That hot potato Paul was passed on to someone else. Oh my gosh, this poor bird is like a foster child. I think no one wants to take care of this bird. Well, because this there's saucy some pressure. Bird. There's some, <laughs> some saucy pressure. <laughs> yes. Andrew Jackson Jr.'s new wife, Sarah York Jackson, is the new caretaker. Did you say that it was at Andrew Jackson's funeral that it started swearing? Yes. Okay, so... We're not there yet because no. Andrew Jackson is still pressuring. He's still alive. Different owners. He's, he's still. Well, that's the story anyway. Right, right. Did it really happen? Did it really happen? That's up to you. That Andrew Jackson was pressuring people? No. That really happened. The, the swearing bird at the oh. funeral. All right. Well, so far that's I haven't gonna heard be up to anything you. regarding that. So. <laughs> well, strap in. All right. I'm strapped. Wait for it. Let's come. Okay. Let's bring it on. Patience. I'm waiting. Holly. <laughs> 
don't call me Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it's Mrs. Paul to you. <laughs> Mrs. Paul. <laughs> um, Come after your toes. <laughs> God. <laughs> so Jackson was very fond of his adopted son's new wife, maybe because unlike his own family, she actually wrote him back. Mm. So when she moved to the Hermitage and wrote to him about seeing Paul, he responded, I am happy you have seen poor Paul. <laughs> Under your care, she will be safe. For this bird, I have a great regard. It was my dear wife's, and I hope it may be preserved as long as I live. Take care of her. <sighs> That's a lot of pressure. I'm wondering if there are a bunch more letters out there of Jackson writing to everyone at the Hermitage and entrusting <laughs> them with Polly's care, like like insurance, in case yeah, no one cares. It's like someone in, in the group <laughs> has to care. I think they're all feeding her and checking her to make sure she's alive and she's just getting fatter and fatter. Oh, the next time that we hear anything about Polly is two and a half years later. In October of 1834, a spark from one of the chimneys at the Hermitage lit the roof on fire, and most of the mansion was burned to the ground. Did Polly survive? No one was injured, but the residents were displaced, including Polly. Polly survived. Polly survived. Great. Andrew Jackson Jr. sent his wife, Sarah, and their two-year-old daughter, Rachel, (laughs) and uh, their baby son, Andrew Jackson III, to live with Jackson at the White House. And when they got there, they brought news of Polly. Oh, jeez. Jackson wrote that little Rachel ran into his arms, and the first thing she said was, Grandpa, the great fire burnt my bonnet, and the big owl tried to kill Paul, but Papa killed the owl. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a story. I know. That's got some rhythm to it, that sentence. Yeah, I like this kid. I know the big owl tried to kill Paul, but Papa killed the owl. Yeah. <laughs> Grandpa, the <laughs> great fire burnt my <laughs> bonnet. <laughs> I could, yeah. This this kid had some rhythm. <laughs> I think you need to write to Lynn Manuel. Yeah. For the, his next. <laughs> I, think, I think it was already an Andrew Jackson musical, and was I don't there? think he's going to go for it that. It didn't go well. Yeah. As far as I can tell, we don't hear anything more from poor Paul until 11 years later. What? A bird lived that long? Birds live a long time. What does the Macaw website say about the lifespan of a, of a bird? You mean parrotwebsite.com? Yes. <laughs> yes. Where we answer questions like, why pay for a good URL? <laughs> <laughs> what does it say about, about the lifespan, the lifespan of, of a bird? I think they can live like, like 30, 40, 50 years, maybe, what? maybe even older. Yeah. That's a human's lifespan. Birds live a long time of some like parrot type birds. Okay. So let's dig into the source of this swear and parrot story. Mm-hmm. So Andrew Jackson died in 1845. Okay. The story of the parrot swearing at the funeral first appeared in print in 1920 that's 75 years later that didn't happen are okay suspicious right yeah that would be like if a wild story about fdr's funeral came out now right but wait until you hear where it came from because it's still a primary source the story comes from the reverend william minifi normant i'm sure i'm mispronouncing that yeah he was 90 years old at the time. A lot of the articles about this swearing parrot say that the source was the preacher who performed Jackson's funeral. Mm-hmm. But um, Nemant wasn't a preacher yet. He was only 15 years old when Andrew mm-hmm. Jackson died. And he recalled meeting the general six weeks before he died and then attending his funeral. So I'll tell you about that. Okay. He was a student at Cumberland University, which is not far from where Jackson lived. He recalled that one Saturday morning, he and some classmates packed their lunches, got in a stagecoach, and headed to the Hermitage to meet the famous Andrew Jackson. Jackson had this whole like Southern hospitality thing going on that was kind of required in the South, so you could do that kind of thing. You could just roll on up. <sighs> some Harvard students tried the same thing with John Adams once, and he just basically yelled at them to go away. Yeah, batted like, them away. You're with not the invited. It's hot out. Get the hell. Out what of are you here. doing? <laughs> But young William Nemet had a much better experience with Jackson, although he was still a little disappointed that the 78-year-old didn't quite live up to the legend in his mind. Mm. So when the boys got there, they were led into a big room where Andrew Jackson was sitting in a chair in front of a huge roaring fire, and Jackson was pretty feeble. Mm-hmm. But he shook all their hands from his chair. He held his hickory cane in one hand and his silver stem pipe in the other. And he was excited that some of these kids were studying for the ministry. His big Bible was next to him, 
and he told them to make the most of their opportunities in life. <sighs> Nemet wrote, To tell the truth, we were rather disappointed because he did not tell us of battles and duels. <sighs> Could this gentle, religious old gentleman be the man whose by the eternal had sounded in the halls of Congress on the field of battle and dueling ground? We all get old, man. Right? <sighs> Yet we sat looking at the living reality of our boyish dreams, an old man feeble and lonely, who spoke of his wife as that sainted woman, and whose grave he daily visited. Oh, that's so sad. Up above the mantelpiece hung two long dueling pistols, mute witnesses of days gone by, and I think these pistols occupied most of our attention. We spent more than an hour talking with the general, and when we were ready to leave, he again shook hands and wished us happiness and health. That's lovely. Yeah, they meant the, the lion in his winter. Yes. Six weeks later, Andrew Jackson died. Wow. And like thousands of others, young William Nemet went to the Hermitage for the funeral. Mm -hmm. So a lot of accounts of Polly swearing at this funeral seem to take place indoors. And they make it seem odd that someone would bring a parrot to a funeral as if it like took place at a funeral home or inside a church. But that's not how things worked back then. And, and there were way too many people for this thing to happen inside the house. Right. So the funeral sermon was conducted on the porch of the hermitage in front of the crowd gathered around. Mm -hmm. Polly then would have been on her perch on the porch. Her okay. Porch perch. <laughs> porch perch. She didn't so much go to Jackson's funeral as Jackson's funeral came to her. Okay. According to Nemet, before the sermon and while the crowd was gathered, a wicked parrot that was a household <laughs> pet got excited and commenced swearing so loud and long as to disturb the people and had to be carried from the house. Maybe Jackson like was reincarnated into <laughs> the bird since he loved her so much. That's something we haven't considered. Um, That's what happened. So Nemet wrote that in a letter and he told one newspaper that the general's parrot, excited by the multitude and the wailing of the slaves, let loose perfect gusts of cuss words and the Negro slaves of the general were horrified and awed at the bird's lack of reverence. What was this about the slaves being the wailing? They were wailing. Apparently they were grieving so much over the general's death that they were hmm. in tears and wailing, and the bird was swearing, and the enslaved <laughs> people were offended by the sounds irreverence like, of the like bird. Sounds like a very chaotic funeral. A little bit. First, I mean, I don't necessarily believe that his slaves would be wailing over his death. Um, That's the first thing I'm having trouble believing. Um, I mean, it's complicated because, you know, they, they may have been close, sort of like a family, at least the ones that, that lived in the house and were closest to him. We don't really know what their relationship was like. He inquired about them a lot. He seemed to care for them. Um, and you don't know what the death of a master necessarily means for an enslaved person does that mm. mean they're going to be separated are they going to be sold off there could have been a lot of feelings going on i see that's a good point who knows um and that's when polly started to kill what i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> that's the entirety of the only eyewitness account of polly the parrot swearing at andrew jackson's funeral but before we make a final determination of whether this story is legit we're going to look into the alleged profanity of Andrew Jackson and a little bit about the history of potty mouth parrots, okay? <laughs> potty mouth parrots. Yes. Is that going to be the title? Ooh, maybe. I love it. I like it too. Yeah. So the reason this story is so popular is because of the idea that Andrew Jackson swore so much that his parrot picked up on it and repeated all those words at his funeral. Was he really swearing that much? It's a good question. I mean, it almost seems too perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, all throughout his public life, there were stories that Andrew Jackson was this backwoods hoodlum who loved swearing and shooting. He had such a reputation for it that there are reports that future White House residents could still hear his ghost swearing years after he died. <laughs> okay. Yeah. There aren't many folks who say that he didn't swear a lot, but some say that he didn't do it any more than most Westerners, which, you know, could still be a lot. The best evidence I found that shows that Jackson was no stranger to cussing, it actually involves another preacher. A pastor Danforth and his father visited Jackson at the White House in That's 1832. A lot of preachers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. None of them chose sailing. <laughs> no. <laughs> they all went into preacherhood. There's a there's a big lack of sailors in this Except story. Except for Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre. So. <laughs> so. 
I still don't know how to pronounce that. I obviously neither do I. Mm-hmm. So this pastor Danforth, he said that Jackson indulged in the most vehement and profound language and threatened violence against men who would slander him. And his profanity was so excessive that the clergyman deemed it his duty to admonish him of its unworthiness. <laughs> Word of this got out, and Jackson apparently apologized to the clergyman later, but also reamed him for telling people about his earlier tirade. So reports of Jackson's foul mouth are probably not exaggerated. Now let's talk about parrots and swearing. There is a long history of parrots and profanity. Really? Yes. And I found one bird owner's manual from 1888. What? There was manual? Yes. From 1888, it talks about how African gray parrots, um, they were shipped from Africa and they could become more valuable if they were trained on the voyage to America to speak. And even more valuable if the captain happens to indulge in profanity. Okay, so they were even more valuable if they swore. That's what this manual it's says. It's like a little comedian to a pet. <laughs> Maybe. I have serious doubts about this, but this is what it says. It says that profane parrots command high prices. The more cultivated and pious the buyer, the higher the price for the profane parrot. <laughs> Apparently, pious buyers like Quakers abhor swearing themselves, but they'll pay good money for a few well-selected oaths and curses. <laughs> From a parrot. A parrot. A Parrotly. <laughs> then it says, on the other hand, a bird which can repeat any of the catechism or a prayer is generally owned by some fellow too lazy or too wicked to say his own prayers. Wow, harsh. It sounds like someone... Seems some backwards thinking there. It sounds to me like someone had a surplus of profane parrots and was trying to <laughs> offload them in Quakertown. Right. So is this why in depictions of pirates, they always have a parrot on their shoulder? That's a good question. I know that parrots were brought from other continents, so they would be on a ship. And maybe they were good pets for pirates and the profanity. It just worked out. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. Let's say yes. I expect an answer by next episode. Well, you can get the answer to that and more questions at (laughs) parrotwebsite.com. We're not getting paid for this. No. No, we're, we're getting billed for this. Yeah. <laughs> Cease and desist letter right here. <laughs> yeah, stop talking about our website. Stop talking about parrotwebsite.com. <laughs> then I found one story of a real-life foul-mouthed parrot who might have helped solve a murder. Is this the pinch of murder? This is the pinch of murder. Oh, I've been waiting all night for this. You've been waiting. <laughs> in Michigan in 2015, a man named Martin Durham was killed in his home, shot multiple times. He had an African gray parrot for a pet, Bud. And after his death, Bud ended up with his ex-wife, Christina. Christina soon noticed that the parrot was repeating an argument over and over in a male and female voice. Wow. And it always ended in the parrot in Martin's voice yelling, Don't fucking shoot! (laughs) It was replaying the murder. Yeah. Did it solve the murder? Well, video of this was... On the news. Don't fucking shoot. And it might have spurred prosecutors to arrest Martin's current wife, Glenna. Wouldn't you use the bird more as like a lie detector test, like really not admissible in court? The bird was not admissible in court, but they think that the bird might have spurred the prosecutors to look more into uh, this woman. I see. So it instigated a, a turn of events. Yes. This woman was eventually convicted for the murder. Wow. Okay, now this this is my favorite story. Okay. It happened just last year at the Lincolnshire Wildlife Park in London. During quarantine, this zoo received five different African gray parrots, all like rehomed from different homes, and they all liked to swear. <laughs> That's like a cute gray parrot family. Yes. Like and a vulgar gray gray parrot family. Exactly. They were quarantined together, and they started, like, feeding off of each other and the staff's reactions. So when the zoo opened up... Sounds like our family. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) During COVID. (laughs) Yes. When the zoo opened up and these birds were put out into the aviary, they started cussing out the visitors. Oh, I love it. Together. That's amazing. And that's not the worst part. So parrots, they don't just mimic words and songs. They imitate reaction sounds like laughter. That's like, creepy. One parrot would tell a visitor to fuck off, and another <laughs> would start laughing. 
I've read. I love these birds. I'm a, yes. Um, if we were to get a parrot, so, so African gray. Yes. Um, French swearing. Right. Okay. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. To, I'm ready to. Do you think parrotwebsite.com sells parrots? <laughs> yeah. If it doesn't, write them and tell and tell them we are bird people after all. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Uh, I've read that parrots really don't understand the meaning of the words they're saying. They they like associate words with context. They repeat things that get reactions. One article specifically said not to take it personally if a bird swears at you. Oh, I'm taking it personally. I don't think I could not take it personally in the situation. (laughs) Like if a bird told me to fuck off and then his friend said, yeah, fuck off. And then they started laughing. (laughs) I would take that personally. Yeah. I mean, there's no way not to take that personally. And this kind of thing was happening and these birds had to be like separated so that not... They were afraid all the birds in the park would start swearing, which would be the best park ever. That's so funny. I mean, that's to me, that seems like a park you'd pay money to visit. No one complained. They were just worried that people might and that it wasn't good for the kids. Yeah, that's true. It's not good for the kids. Maybe Maybe you need an adult bird area. Yeah. Like for adults only behind the black curtain, you know? Yeah. Secret (laughs) bird park. You pay extra. Yeah. It's like one of those restaurants like Ed DeBevick's or whatever, where they're like yelling at you, except it's a zoo (laughs) and it's parrots. Exactly. Exactly. So we've established that parrots are not only violent bone crushing dinosaurs, but they also have potty mouths. (laughs) And the thing is, you don't even have to teach them to swear. If Andrew Jackson's Polly talk like a saucy trucker, that doesn't mean Jackson taught her that language on purpose. They pick up on passionate outbursts, Mm -hmm. especially short words and phrases. And if they repeat that vulgarity and get a reaction like a laugh, then it's positive reinforcement. They're going to keep repeating those words over and over. I changed my mind. I don't want a parrot. No? No, I've I've realized like I don't need a bird repeating every fight we have. I've already placed the order with parrotwebsite.com. <laughs> okay, so not only this, they can also be nervous around new people or crowds, and they could act out as a result of experiencing grief, which is a very real thing for parrots who lose their partners or owners. Oh. So looking at all the evidence. But it seems like this parrot really was with other people more than it was with Andrew Jackson. Well, Andrew Jackson had been with it for seven or eight years, like a long time. Looking at all the evidence. Okay. Andrew Jackson did have a parrot named Polly who was saucy. He had a reputation for swearing. Birds definitely pick up on profanity. The Birds funeral swear sermon. When they're in grief. Yeah. The funeral sermon was performed outdoors, a natural place for the bird to be. And the source of the story is a well-respected member of society who presumably values honesty. And he was at an impressionable age when this would have happened. And it's something that would have been both memorable and probably pretty cool. But no one else ever mentioned this. And he never said anything about it for 75 years, at least not to reporters. I don't think it happened. You don't think it happened? No. No? No. Why? For all the reasons you just listed. I think it it's really, if it was that noticeable, it would be talked about more. All right. Because Andrew Jackson was famous and he died. And if something like that happened at a famous person's funeral, it would be talked about more than one 15-year-old 75 years later. Okay. That's my That's my thinking. Thank you for weighing in. But... I do think that the parrot probably swore a lot during inappropriate times and maybe the memory was conflated or maybe the memory was, um, especially since it was 15. I mean, when you were 15, are all your memories nice and crisp? If it was something like going to a former president's funeral Mm -hmm. um, and something like this happening, maybe, maybe that would kind of crystallize and and really set in there. I still think I would get a few things wrong. Maybe a few things, but yeah. something as big as a parrot swearing and, and being removed. I don't, know. I don't think he lied. I think he either misinterpreted or misremembered or he was telling a joke and it was taken out of context. I think there's lots of ways for one person's testimony to be misinterpreted or misconstrued. And I don't, if it was repeatedly talked about among lots of people over the years, then we could see the little differences yeah. within the story, but this is just one person's version. And so there's thousands of reasons why it might not be completely accurate. It's tough when there's one source. Yeah. What do you think? 
I'm going with real. Really? Yeah. I think there's a real witness to the event. Every part of it is plausible. And yes, there's the fact that there's only one witness writing about it. Um, but I think he mentioned that it happened before the sermon started. So maybe he got there a little early and it wasn't in front of everybody. Also, this was maybe something that the more respectful adults would have kept to themselves or at least not published mm-hmm. because this is, you know, the great general Andrew Jackson is dead and everything was very reverent and, and talking about what a great man he was. That's what they was happening written, locally. I know, but they would have written to each other about it or they would have, I think it would have popped up. But a lot of these people, if they did write to each other or if they did talk about it, their letters are, you know, maybe didn't survive. Mm-hmm. His family didn't, didn't write much about Polly at all. Um, this after is this. very interesting coming from you. Yeah, I mean... I feel like one source, again, can be... There's thousands of ways to interpret one person's quote or one person's source. One thing that would make me question it is if the source of the story was someone who didn't like Jackson hmm. and was maybe trying to make him look bad or uncouth. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case here. This was a man recalling his boyhood memories, not joking. Why 75 years later? Because... Maybe nobody asked him about it. He was asked to contribute his memories to a book. It's just usually you take the stance of like innocent until proven guilty or didn't happen until mm-hmm. I see the evidence. And here you're going the opposite way. I think that this is a primary source. And yes, it's it's the only source. But I don't think he would have had a reason to make it up. I think it's plausible. And I'm not saying it happened for sure. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is that in a world of fun facts that are often false... I think it's okay to embrace this one. Oh, okay. Well, I'll follow your lead on that. It's okay to disagree. (laughs) Well, I like that you can become a believer. Sometimes. I like the whimsy in that. I want to believe in this swearing parrot. Yeah, I know you do. So there doesn't seem to be any record of what happened to Paul after Jackson's funeral. Mm. Maybe she kept on swearing till her dying day. (laughs) But through all this, we never really get to hear Paul's side of the story. Turns out, though, you can. What? At the Hermitage Museum in Tennessee, they have an audio tour for kids that's narrated by Paul the Parrot. Oh, my gosh. That's so cute. Yes. In his book, um, Dead Presidents, Brady Carlson um, shares what Paul tells the kiddos. Mm Mm-hmm. According to Paul, parrots do love to talk, but that day I said too much. Have you ever had a temper tantrum and felt bad about it later? Well, that's what happened to me. I love the general, and when he died, no one could calm me down. Some things I said were in parrot, some were in English, and some were in Spanish. Certain things were not so polite. I'm afraid that many things were better suited to ears of sailors than the many ladies who had gathered to pay their respects. They finally had to lock me up in a room inside until I could control myself. After that day, I promised never to use bad language again. What? There's so many things wrong with that. I'm so bothered. What do you mean? That's just, that's what Paul said. <laughs> I'm so bothered by that. That's what the Not kids would hear. for the ears of ladies? I mean, it's that's a lot. That's in the museum today? Well, yeah. That's so, A, sexist, and I hate it. Paul is coming from, like, this 19th he century. Just, yeah, but he still, he doesn't need to be. Sexist? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, he's also like profane most of the right. time. So he it's, doesn't it's need to talk like that. I mean, and also, I mean, that's a lot of self-restraint for a parrot in general <laughs> to make a, that kind of promise. You might need to write a few emails. <laughs> um, well, I've got another idea. About that. Hear me out, Andrew Jackson's Hermitage. I say own the parrot. Consider an adult tour narrated by Polly. I think it could bring in a lot of tourists. Maybe <laughs> that even would enough. be more fun. Yes, it could bring in a lot of people. Maybe even enough to make up for the people that would never come back. <laughs> and if you need help writing it, oh, you've come to the right place. Uh, yes, you I've, found your writer. I have found things in the 1811 dictionary of the vulgar tongue that would knock people's socks off. <laughs> and then they go straight to the gift shop to buy brand new Paul the Parrot branded socks. So admit it. You want to be Paul the Parrot. I want to write an adult tour for Paul the Parrot. I want Andrew Jackson's Hermitage to embrace this story in a way that brings this parrot into the 21st century. Because the kids tour certainly isn't in the 21st century. You have a good point. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm just saying, think about it, Hermitage. I like it. For Paul, for Rachel, <laughs> I'm here for you. It's the last thing we have of Rachel, really. Yes. And, is this you know, tour that Howard will do for <laughs> yes. you. Yes, it's it's exactly not what Rachel would have wanted, but it's, <laughs> I think it's what, what Rachel needs. It's, what's, it's what Rachel would have wanted and needs. Yes. Um, thank you for joining us. Next week, we've got our first interview. Oh, that's so exciting. Yes. And it's not going to be about animals. Um, I won't make any because promises. Because this is a new this is a new direction. <laughs> yes. This, it's no longer plodding through the presidents. It's plodding through the pets. <laughs> um, that's, hey, not a bad idea. <laughs> I'm interviewing Dr. Lindsay Chervinsky, a fascinating presidential historian and author of The Cabinet, George Washington, and the Creation of an American Institution. Uh, she talks to me about her book and about our mutual love of John Quincy Adams. Uh, and I'll also be telling Jess a little bit about George Washington that would put him right at home alongside Andrew Jackson's parrot. Really? Yes. Uh, <laughs> if you like what you heard, check out more at plodpod.com. Consider following and reviewing us. And please check out our Patreon with lots of extra extras. There's a lot of cuts from this particular episode oh my, this ep- most of this episode most of this episode is going to be cut this so is if you want <laughs> so if you want to hear all the bloopers and strange commentary from this episode then you're going to need to join patron yes and we love our patrons i can honestly call them friends yes the best thing you can do though is share the love with your friends in real life and on the internet. You could tweet about it on Twitter. Uh, you could squawk about it on parrotwebsite.com. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you for plotting along with us. Thank you for plotting. Was she a nipper?